podcast listeners, this is going to be a great one for you. If you're looking at how to plan your first through hike effectively, or maybe just even another one. This was actually originally a YouTube video, so you can catch the video on my YouTube. No kidding. And it'll have, you know, some more B-roll and some other things like that. But otherwise, stick around and enjoy. This is the top nine things you need to know when planning your first through hike. Stick around to the end because the last one is going to make sure that you don't quit. I'm going to walk through what I would do on this for an example through hike, which is going to be the Tahoe Rim Trail. Let's get into it. So number one, what is your ideal length of trail? Smaller trails would be like the Timberline Trail, the Wonderland Trail, medium size John Muir Trail, Tahoe Rim, obviously the longer trails, Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail, PCT. How many days can you get off? How many days can you negotiate off if that is? not possible. What is the type of environment you want to be hiking through? Do you want to be more of a closed camp canopy like on the long trail or do you want to be out west where there's maybe a little more vistas and wide open spaces? For me, I wanted to hike the Tahoe Rim Trail because it is an eight hour drive from my house. It would be super easy to get to and obviously it's a circumnavigation so it's uh, around. Number two is the research phase. So I like to start this like six to nine months before my hike. Oftentimes I'll start thinking about a hike in the winter and it helps get me out of those kind of winter blues type thing. From there, I'll basically watch all the videos that I can on it and I will join some Facebook groups to see maybe what are the common start dates, when's the best weather, and if it would be possible for me to commit to this hike because oftentimes there's a lot of hidden things like transportation woes, and, and other things like that. John Muir Trail, transportation is one of the hardest parts about the hike in my opinion. So figure out if you wanna spend that money and if you are going to commit to the hike. Number three is making a public commitment. And I think this is super important because it will hold you to what it is that you're gonna to wanna to do. Instead of having it be one of those things that you'll do someday. Having a case of the someday's is total garbage in my opinion. And although I have done it for quite a bit of things, I do try to uh, at least make a public commitment or a commitment to myself, hold myself accountable or have the public hold me accountable if I don't do it. Along with this, you wanna develop your list of whys. And so what this means is why am I doing this trail? Why do I wanna do it? This is a great list to have when you're in the trail and things start sucking, which they do and they will. You can pull this up for reference and it'll be with you for your duration of the trail. So number three is when I start making my itinerary. I primarily use an itinerary for a shoulder to lean on for seeing if I'm going too fast or if I'm going too slow. A lot of people that watch my channel, they're still working jobs like I am. You need to be back by a certain date before you get fired, right? That's why I create the itinerary as a backstop to make sure I'm not going slower or to make sure I'm kind of on schedule for my return. How I figure out a rough itinerary is using an app called Far Out Guides, which used to be called Guthub. And I will basically just go in the elevation profile there and I'll do about what, what I'm roughly trying to average for mileage and I'll see what's there, if there's a creek, if there is a campsite and I'll put that in my itinerary as where I'm going to be for that night. This comes with a caveat because it's super easy to do this when you're planning it on your couch. Be aware that it is gonna to look totally different when you have boots on the ground instead of just looking at it on a map and looking at a data sheet. I'll also leave notes of like a significant stream crossing or a large water carry and I'll put them in the notes section of it so I'm aware of it before that day happens. I'll leave a link below so you can grab a copy of my John Muir Trail or my Colorado Trail itinerary. A lot of people say it, but like hike your own hike, right? Because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Because this is a sprint, this is not a 
Be careful when working in your zero or your Nero days. It's hard to imagine what you're gonna feel like on trail when you're not actually in there. So you can really kind of approximate when you're going to be needing a zero, but oftentimes it'll kind of come up where you kind of need a win, which I call a W, at a certain time on the trail that you weren't really expecting. You might not think that you need a hotel on day five, but as what happened to me on the CT, maybe you got rain on for the entire day and you were coming through town and you just need a warm place to sleep. And number five is resupply and food. So you gotta figure out where the heck are you going to resupply at? Where are the location points? When do they accept packages? Do they accept packages? What is the pickup fee with that? A lot of times that can, information can be found in the far out guide or it can be found on the website for the resupplier. But you also gotta figure out, are you gonna be doing a mail drop or are you gonna be mostly resupplying in stores? For me, I usually do a mail drop just because it's quick and easy. However, it is more expensive than typically resupplying in stores because you're having to deal with the extra shipping and possibly paying a fee to pick it up. The other thing you wanna consider with that is how far are they off of the trail? This can be an issue when it's you know an exorbitant amount of miles off of the trail or you need to get a hitch. That's gonna affect your itinerary, right? There was one time where I was doing a section hike and I didn't realize how far off trail this one resupply spot was and you know, I had to go all the way downhill and then when I got out of there with a full pack, I had to go all the way back uphill and it was totally unnecessary. I could have resupplied in a totally different spot. I wasn't really looking at the mileage. I just knew people resupplied there. If I'm doing a mail drop, I typically will send my resupply about three weeks to a month before I go out on trail. And I like to do that because then I'll get confirmation that it arrived there and everything is good and I can feel good about it. One little tip is kind of decorating your mailbox to be as unique as possible. So when you get to the resupply spot, you can say, oh, there's a bear on my resupply box with my name. And so they can easily pick it through and you know, you can just kind of speed up the process a little bit. But I'll also do a spreadsheet and I basically will mark off when I have and have not uh, got food. Typically, I will batch buy all my food at one shot and then also pack my boxes within like one or two days so I can just get everything taken care of. On the Tahoe Rim Trail, it's 170 miles, so I only need to really resupply once and that's gonna be about halfway through there and I know that it, it is a little bit of a hike off trail, but it's really the only feasible point that I can resupply at. A lot of times when you also get your resupply, you're gonna be close to a town which also has restaurants, right? So you can work that into your food or your resupply itinerary so you don't have to pack that day's lunch, dinner, or whatever. Six, you wanna research the weather. What is the typical climate for when you're going? and what is it gonna be like on the dates that you selected. I'll kind of have a rough approximation of what my gear will look like prior to going on trail, but I really will dial that in and plan accordingly to what the forecast is a few days before I start on the trail. Maybe I don't need this piece of gear or this piece of clothing. This can be super critical. I knew one time a couple people that brought crampons to some at Mount Whitney in July. And if you know anything about Mount Whitney, you don't need crampons in July. So they carried those for absolutely zero reason. You can also find out weather conditions if you're uncertain about snow or water crossings on those Facebook groups. Because those are a lot of times people that are boots on the ground before you 
Another way is the far out comments. Gear is the next one. So obviously gear is important and it's so important that I have a guess, another spreadsheet for my gear. Before I start going on my hike, I will check every single thing off of the list that I have on there so I know that I'm good to go and I know that I didn't forget something. I cannot understate the importance of this Ever since I've implemented this system, I have, I don't think I've ever forgot a piece of gear that was really, really critical to my hike. And I never have on a through hike for sure. It'll help reduce the anxiety that you forgot something. Check out other people's gear lists that have hiked this trail before you. Again, kind of comes down to weather. What did they bring? On, this, on the Colorado Trail, I didn't bring my heavier fleece pullover because I was learning people weren't really doing that on the CT. And so I got away with a thinner little pullover. And so that kind of helped cut down on weight, what might've been a little bit of a risk, but it was one that was manageable and one that ultimately worked out. And I wouldn't have thought about it unless I had seen somebody else's video. Number eight is training slash shakedown hikes. And I put these into the same category because I think they are very much related to each other. So a lot of people will say, well, you get your trail legs on the trail, which yes, can be true, especially if you're doing the Pacific Crest Trail or Appalachian Trail or something like that. Think about it this way. If you're going out and you're starting to hike 10, 15, up to 20 miles a day, and all you do every day is a 30 minute walk around your neighborhood, that is a vastly different adaptation that your body needs to go through. And it needs to go through it quick in order to keep you injury free. Add onto that a 20, 30, 40 pound pack and your joints are gonna be overloaded. So I'm a huge proponent of mobility, strength, and conditioning training before you go into these hikes. Why would you not go into these hikes as fit as possible? And I'll tell you this from experience, the more fit you are, the easier the hike is gonna be and the faster you can do it and the better attitude you're gonna have while doing it as well. I've seen many people quit that were just simply not in shape for the hike. Get your trail legs before going on the hike. Now, shakedown hikes are just simply the act of basically doing a dress rehearsal before you go out on your main hike. Think of these as practice runs. These can be an overnight, a two-night. I generally will do an overnight or a, a two-night before as my shakedown hike, and that's just where you're testing out your gear. Maybe you're testing out some new gear in a very low-risk situation that then you can come back, take it home, take the data that you gathered, and see if you wanna take that on your giant trip. There's nothing worse than getting on a giant trip and realizing you don't know how the hell to set up your tent or that there's so much condensation in there that it's negating the actual weight savings that you're getting by the tent. So why are you bringing this thing, right? Number nine, the last one is expect the unexpected. One of the reasons through hikes are so appealing, I never know exactly what, what is gonna happen on this hike. I have a general idea, but you know, there might be days where you were not planning on staying in a hotel, but you got off trail to do that because you were rained on all day. That happened to me on the Colorado Trail. I just could not get dry and there's no place to camp that was, that was near me. So you have to be flexible with it. Being flexible also means you have to get into town because there's a hole in your shoes or because you have a rash on your legs, right? So you have to be super flexible and you have to know that these things will come up. And I think being aware of this and being cool with it and, and knowing that it's gonna it's gonna happen makes the trip more fun and more appealing and honestly more adventurous. Don't quit on a bad day, which means you basically will never quit, right? But if you really have a good day at, through hiking 
and you wanna quit after that, well then I would say you should probably go ahead and quit because I don't think it's for you. But never quit on a bad day because there's so many negative thoughts that you wouldn't normally be thinking because of the outside circumstances that you kinda of gotta get a clear head in order to actually fully make an assessment. A good way to do that, get off trail for a little bit maybe, take a zero. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. That is why we do these things. That is why through hiking is appealing. And that is why frankly, more people don't do it. You should pat yourself on the back because you are doing something out of your comfort zone that you have no idea how it's gonna end up, you have no idea what's gonna happen between the start and the finish. So I really applaud you for wanting to do that because not a lot of people are willing to take that uncertainty step. I actually, I take everything back. Probably the best thing that you can do to prepare for a through hike is subscribe and like to this channel. But for real, thank you for everybody that actually has done this the last few videos. This really helps me out. So if you got any value from this video, please hit that like, subscribe. We'll see you for the next one.